0: Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money. And sadly, as Cowboys fans are seeking refuge from the storm that is Jerry Jones. to another episode of Manager damn money with ben and malcolm i am ben carter and i'm joined here by my wonderful and trusty host mr malcolm Etheridge. malcolm what is going on man all good man i wish the uh
1: the rain would leave us alone indeed um you know it's been in the forecast literally every single day for the last like two and a half three weeks uh-huh. i'm a little tired of it but you know
0: other than that off and on it's still hot though so i'm happy i guess yeah yeah, yeah for sure uh on this episode, we are actually handling an interesting conversation, major financial hurdles facing millennials and how to overcome them. So we're going to cover that uh, a little later in the show. But I just wanted to quickly reiterate something that we don't always talk about. This show is about money and millennials. Right. So it's a TV show. Right which it airs on several uh, public television stations in the Washington, D.C. area. And a whole bunch of other countries, I recently learned. <laughs> and it can be downloaded as a podcast on a whole bunch of different, on a whole bunch of different platforms. Uh, so we just want to remind people because people don't always know all the ways in which we reach people. Hmm. Um, so that's something interesting to remember. Um, but before we move on to the topic at hand for today, it is now time for headlines. The headline for this week, Malcolm. When it comes to inequality, these five states are the worst. This was a July 2018 piece on CBSNews.com by Amy Peachy. Um, America is heading for a level of income inequality that it hasn't seen since 1928. Yet the richest residents in five states and 30 cities have already surpassed that threshold, according to a new study. Um, Unequal income growth since the 1970s has buoyed the fortunes of the top 1% of income earners widening the income inequality in every state, according to a study by the Economic Policy Institute. Um, across the country, Malcolm, the top-earning households took home 22% of all income in 2015, the latest year for which the IRS has data. Um, that's just 1.9% points lower than the 1928 record share of the 23.9% of income. Um, but that 1928 peak has now been surpassed by New York. Mm-hmm florida mm-hmm. connecticut mm-hmm. nevada and wyoming uh wyoming, said wyoming. Okay. it seemed random but i think there's a reason for it um metropolitan regions that have leapfrogged over the 1928 record include jackson wyoming which okay. is why it's on there. i think it's like a it's a resort town where jackson hole is okay um and the Na- naples florida uh which is also a popular retirement location so those kind of explain those um, the trend represents a reversal of what's often considered the golden years of the U.S. economy, the decades following the uh, World War II. While the country was hardly equal during those decades, greater uh, gender and racial bias was widespread. Income growth for both poor and rich grew at the same pace. Mm-hmm. So back then there was like an even incline, whereas now it's just like one is outpacing the other by a whole lot. Yeah. Um, and if you're wondering what it takes to be in that 1% that we always talk about, As Americans, you need to earn at least $421,000 in annual income to break into the 1%. Uh, yet in some states, residents will require as uh, require much more to be considered among the top one percent. Such as in Connecticut, where the threshold stands at seven hundred thousand dollars to be considered a part of the one percent. That's about what I figured. Yeah, in Connecticut, it's about a million
1: dollars a year, roughly in income, right. is what I figured.
0: Right, right. Um, so Malcolm, some of these cities are listed are driven by wealthy people moving to resort towns. Mm-hmm. Um, is this something that you see in wealth manage- management industry in terms of people moving to? Certain cities or places Based on like Retirement plans
1: Uh, In the last 18 months I've had two clients Move to Florida
0: Oh wow uh, Which is kind of The
1: stereotypical thing That you do as retirees It's like extreme But part of it is Because of the tax free The the state income tax Treatment Where you don't pay any Okay Uh, Texas also is another Desirable place Where folks who would Have moved to Florida Are now moving to Texas Houston and and, uh, Austin Okay uh, As retirees For the same reason no state income tax Okay. so it is kind of common. I don't know that people in this D.C. area move that far south as often. Um, But there is, I think, migration happening a lot among uh, retirees.
0: For sure. For sure. Now, we kept referencing the year 1928. Mm -hmm. Um, 1928 is important because levels of inequality occurred like this just before the Great Depression. So we talked about on a recent show, the Great uh, Recession, Mm -hmm. which we're familiar with. But the Great Depression was the 1930s when like people were in food lines and like the old grainy footage of people walking through the streets looking for food. It's interesting that you say that because I was actually reading
1: today Mm -hmm. an analysis um, that was done by an economist on the the parallels between the 2008 economic crisis okay. and where we stand now housing market to housing market uh-huh. where wages were staying stagnant right but housing prices were going up five and six times the amount they were the 10 years preceding right we're in a similar place now okay. where history doesn't necessarily repeat itself sure but it does sometimes tend to rhyme right. and in this case <laughs> we're starting to sound a little synonymous right um, so it's 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 interesting that right. you say that and I'm I'm keeping an eye closely on that
0: right that Speaking of economics, uh, should we be concerned, um, you know, that a recession is coming given the imbalance in like the haves and the haves not, so to speak? Yeah. So a recession is inevitable
1: because the economic cycle always goes through these peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys and, you know, every... Eight to ten years there's another you know top and then a bottom and a right. top and a bottom but I think the thing we should be more concerned with is the damage that the next recession can and will do mm-hmm. because there's such a gap between the haves and have-nots uh, because what happens during a recession is the rich get richer right if you think about 2008 when everybody's getting their home foreclosed on who's swooping in and buying up those homes folks that have idle cash sitting on the sidelines and can afford to buy your house for pennies on the dollar, sit on it for five, six years, however long it takes for the economy to turn, and then make a profit off of your misery. So the people who've had the ability to do that through every crisis, the dot-com bubble, the great recession, whatever comes next, those people have gotten richer and richer. Right. At the same time, people have gotten poorer and poorer. Right. And so that disparity, I think, is what what draws a little bit more concern. Right. Um, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it's something like 85% roughly of all of the stocks that are out there in the market to be held are held by the top 1%. Oh, wow. So 85% of all of the asset that goes up with, you know, the broader market right. is held by the people who have the capacity to earn money on their money wow. while everybody else is still kind of fighting for that other 15%, let's call it. So oh, man. that disparity, I think, is is something to be deathly afraid of. Mm-hmm. But I don't think enough noise is being made about that just yet because, right. you know.
0: Do you understand the, the direct correlation? Because I know I don't. The direct correlation between people who aren't, who don't have a lot of money mm-hmm. and the people who are making a whole lot of money and what that suggest in terms of a recession or am i not making am i not making clear what i'm saying uh maybe ask it a different way um you know what i'm just gonna skip it (laughs) because i don't know what i'm asking um so we want to remind people you're listening and watching manage your damn money with ben and malcolm uh of course you can catch past episodes of our show on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher google play and spotify please leave us a review on any of those platforms that helps more people find and listen to our show um, and, of course, if you have a question for Malcolm that you want him to answer, you can send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. and he will cover it on his Malcolm's Money Minute. Um, and, of course, you can follow us on social media. Malcolm, what's your handle? At Malcolm on Money. And mine is, of course, at MYDM with a one on the end, and you can always get us, too, on Facebook, facebook.com backslash money. This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. Today's conversation at hand, major financial hurdles facing millennials and how to overcome them. Uh, we're going to take a quick music break. welcome back to manage your damn money with ben and malcolm today's conversation at hand major financial financial hurdles facing millennials and how to overcome them at mydm our goal is to put the focus on the financial lives of millennials and our generation and those generations coming behind us those born in the 1980s and on are facing some unique financial challenges student loans income inequality a greater desire for gender and racial equality in the workplace and the question of social security, Malcolm, we thought we'd take a look at the, this generation's greatest challenges and try our hand at potential solutions. So this is an interesting thing, Malcolm. We know it's a whole lot of things that face millennials as a generation mm-hmm. and why we're you know, potentially struggling and how we can like, get over that. Um, an article that we pulled for this episode, um, millennials really do have it tougher compared with 1997, the article headline reads, um, July, this is a July 2018 piece on Philly.com by Aaron averd We have some difficult names of the articles that I pull on this show. I don't know what this, that's about. Aver, av, av, that might just be you. If it's not Smith is, or Jones. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so the, the article reads, Is life more expensive for America's millennials? We may hate to admit it, but yes, new data reveals millennials don't earn as much they pay more for higher education and put off home purchases longer than Gen Xers and Baby Boomers did. Um, a note, note a stunning report from a new site from the news site Axios, which shows just how the cost of living has risen for Americans aged 25 to 34 today versus Americans of Americans of the same age in the year 1977 uh, when adjusted for inflation. So here we go. Uh, for instance, a four-year public college in 1977 cost $8,000. That's amazing. for a four-year public college versus $20,000 today, um, while median incomes have stayed flat at $34,000 over the same time period. Median debt has risen from $10,000 to $33,000, while the percent of those 30-year-olds who own homes has dropped 48% to 39% since 1977. Uh, Risk-taking across generations, which analyzes investor behavior and risk-taking across the 22 to 37 age group, revealed that the typical millennial investor allocates 90% of their portfolio to equities, which is consistent with portfolio allocations or the quote-unquote glide path of what are called target date retirement funds. So it sounds like you can clarify this for me, Malcolm, but it sounds like they're saying millennials pick, you know, turn them on and they just go on by their own uh, investments rather than things you have to like actively manage. Yeah, I'd say that follows okay. the trend. Okay, very good. Um, and then an article also said, as for potential investment trends, millennials want to be homeowners but haven't yet switched en masse from renting to buying homes or even baby strollers. <laughs> so it sounds like from 1977 when you compare right. it to now, you know, there's a lot less going on for the millennial generation. Um, well,
1: also, like, you you already brought it up and we bring it up basically every single show. Uh-huh that huge burden that is student loan debt tends to delay all of the rest of life's milestones. Absolutely. So as you're paying off, you know, five, six figures of debt that you incurred before you even got a chance to make any money, it's got to delay... Something. Everything. (laughs) Because you've got to get a chance to get your feet planted and really understand, like, what's going to be your strategy for getting out from under this burden Mm -hmm. before you can even bother to have the audacity to think about taking on a second, you know, commitment or a second uh, obligation.
0: That's true. That's true. Um, So another article that we pulled for this show, uh, Money is on our minds. Millennials attempt to stay afloat amid student loan debt, as Malcolm just mentioned. Um, This was also a July 2018 piece on WTOP.com by Teta Alem. Um, And it actually focused on D.C. because this is the area that we live in. Uh, D.C. is number one amongst U.S. cities with the highest median student loan balance at $22,000. $22,000 Twenty-two thousand dollars total, um, according to data from LendingTree, and around ten percent of loan holders in DC owe over one hundred thousand dollars. So th- that was amazing to me. That's pretty crazy. That DC specifically, like right. what makes people decide
1: to flock here and bring their <laughs> millions of dollars of debt with them?
0: I don't know, Malcolm. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, Christian Shannon, who was actually profiled in the piece, decided to move to DC in 2016. To cut her commute and be closer to a job the twenty five year old has under twenty three thousand or just under twenty three thousand dollars in loans left to pay after graduating from American University three years ago. she said, I always try each month to pay a little bit over i have the I have the income driven plan which means she's not paying at the rate she's supposed to. It mm-hmm. means it's like slightly reduced because she's you know doing based a, on her income. based on her income right. Um, I try to budget a little bit more," she says, "so it covers more than the principal and gets to the interest." She said, "This year, uh, outstanding student loan debt across the U.S. has grown to one point. This said, one point five trillion. Mm-hmm. So it's recently been one point four, but now we're at one point five trillion outstanding debt. Well, because um, the
1: interest on that trillion number right. is going to creep up a lot faster than it did when it was one trillion right. or you know five hundred right. billion or some other." ridiculously high sounding
0: number. The power of compounding interest. Right. Um, about one in four adults under the age of thirty have student loan debt, and those with a bachelor's degree owe a median of twenty five thousand. The Pew Pew Research Center found. I um, mean, for those in their twenties who are starting out and making an entry level salary in D. C. paying rent and having enough left. Um, impossible. Yeah, basically. I, I, as a person who's been there, done that. <laughs> impossible. <laughs> and I've, 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 I think I've shared my uh, Metro fare skipping stories when I first got my first job in DC, um, and like. Skipping through the metro line to get on the train was like like somebody on a Netflix.
1: That was a way of TV special. Like that actually happens. That
0: actually happens. Um, And then the article went on to say, although there are plenty of job opportunities opportunities in D.C. and the potential of earning a high salary can attract millennials, um, someone said in the article that the cost of living and student loans can quickly make the huge dents in what they're taking home. So you can't even really enjoy the full benefits of the salary that you're making because of what you're paying to be here. Wait till Amazon moves to D.C. and watch <laughs> it, how much worse it gets. Oh, Anyway, um, <laughs> nearly 60% of those surveyed in the quote-unquote millennial index earning less than $50,000 a year say they're living paycheck to paycheck, and even those earning between $50,000 to basically $100,000 Nearly 60% surveyed said they still find it hard to make ends meet. Malcolm, what 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 are these things and these ideas and thoughts and stats making you feel just off off the break? You, so here's
1: something completely not completely unrelated, but a different perspective that uh-huh. you know we never talk about because who cares about the the big guy? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'd be curious to see how the actuaries who work for you know Sally Mae and Fed Loans and Navient and those people, how much have they already decided we're never going to see this money again? (laughs) Like, what amount of that one and a half trillion dollars that we keep talking about? They actually—they basically said, let's go ahead and write it off because it's never coming back to us. Right. And then, what percentage do they actually expect we're going to be able to collect on this? Right. But it's going to be ten years from now, twenty years from now, fifty years from now. Right. Like, I really want to see what those. Projections look like just out of intellectual curiosity. Someone
0: should do a documentary or, uh, or at least a special report on that exactly. And I imagine. I mean, there's plenty of people on Twitter every day that
1: They're like, I'm not paying it. I give, up. <laughs> I give up. Like literally, I can't do it. Not doing it. I give up. So I mean, the documentary would just be a long, drawn out. Feed of people's Twitter and Instagram posts that are like, "Nope, done, tapping right. out, can't do it." That's funny. So, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But right. that's really where my where my curiosity right. tends to to bend is how much of this money will they actually
0: see? That's an interesting thought. With um. interest. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Another interesting element of the the world that millennials are living in specifically is a really different economy from back in the day, so to speak. So back in the day, you can get a job at a factory or somewhere and know that you'd be working there for like 15, 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the way that work works, people typically stay places for shorter stints. Um, There's also the fact that the economy is different. There's this whole gig economy Um, and then so your benefits and your income might not be as secure as it was a generation or two ago. American businesses also don't care about their workers the same way they used to right
1: or if they didn't care before they sure do show it a lot more now (laughs) Um, so if you think about like pensions aside right um, if you just think about how people are paid there used to be a time where and I know this is completely like arbitrary and and subjective but there used to be a time where you can go to your boss and say look I'm about to have my second kid. I need a raise, right. and they would give it to me because they would say, "You know what? So and so is a hard worker, right. and I need him to be able to go home and support those two babies. Right. So here's here's you know X."
0: We certainly don't live in that time anymore. We are
1: nowhere near that time anymore. No. Now you know we live in a culture where people are like, "Well, if you can't get by on this forty thousand dollars, we'll have to hire somebody else who's willing to struggle to see if this company is going to make it or not." Right. Like it's a completely different uh attitude right. from the employers to the employees when it comes to money right and i think that's also part of the challenge like they care a lot more about adding to their stock price their right. share price than they do about having happy
0: productive
1: employees. workers walking through the
0: door every day right what are um we were talking about student loans and you just mentioned how much of that student loans will actually be repaid one way or another what are some structural or legislative solutions to the student loan debt issue? Because some, some people are doing it themselves by deciding to go to, like, community college mm-hmm. or deciding to go to the cheaper college. But what are some other things that need to happen in order for that to, like, something to, to, to be different there? I don't know,
1: because I think, like, if you think about the fact that, like, Congress— got hung up on healthcare for everyone, healthcare for some, healthcare for none, right? right? And the people who are actually designing this law mm-hmm. are people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who really should care about healthcare. Right. So if you think about trying to convince that same body of people to care about something they have, no <laughs> dog in that fight whatsoever, right. student loans, right. it's going to take until we ourselves are the 50, 60, 70-year-old people in Congress who right. care about student loans because you still have student loans <laughs> from 20 years ago before you got into Congress. So that, that I think, is the only way that actually people take up the mantle and say, let's do something about this because right. I don't want to die and have Sally Mae show up at my funeral to make right. sure I'm dead. Like, I want to <laughs> get this thing figured out now. That I think that's the only time it really matters is so, when we're old enough to be the politicians who, en masse, are designing the rules for what happens with old student loan debt
0: that is hilarious it's hilariously sad yeah it is a little bit but it's actually quite possible that you'll see senator ben like we need to do something about these loans we need to do something about I, this bill
1: i just got right <laughs> what
0: are we gonna do about this
1: so here's the thing though so i just was watching coverage of the uh the mayor of san francisco uh-huh. the lady who just got elected oh. And she was talking about the fact that She doesn't own property Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. She's made six figures the last like 10 years of her career, and Uh she can't afford to own property because of student loans first, but then the outrageous cost of housing in San Francisco. The new mayor down in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. same thing, or or she's a candidate running for office in Atlanta. She's got $100,000 in student loans, and people were trying to blast her saying she shouldn't be allowed to be... A representative of other people Because she's got $100,000 Of outstanding student loans And she's saying Well how else was I supposed To accumulate the education To be able to lead you people To become a man?" Right So (laughs) it's this imbalance Between again The haves and the have nots Like we keep coming to Where folks are like Oh, well, you're immediately disqualified if you have student loans. I think as we get older and they become more the norm, right. people are like bringing their student loans to Congress. Like, you know, we're going to have to figure this out because I got to
0: get I got to retire one day. Right. Take your student loans to work day. Right. <laughs> uh, so real quick before we go to our first music break. uh what are the personal actions that can be taken for people to, like, attack their student loan debt just outside of the grand scheme of things, but just with them? Like, what are some, like, tried and true ways to, uh, you know, start making a dent in them?
1: Well, I think, for one, just taking it s- as seriously as it is. That's a big deal. Like, you know, you you, you you often talk to folks who are, like, proud of their deferments into their 30s and 40s. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you've deferred paying the interest on this Thing for All as of your long 20s. as you possibly could. Right. At some point, you've got to actually get serious about paying yeah. it, paying the principal itself, yeah. because it's proven to you that it's not going away. Right. But there are people who I know personally who like make a game out of figuring out ways to make a case to get deferred for another year, really, and then another year, and then another oh, year, wow. and now we're in our 30s, and then we'll be in our 40s, <laughs> and they're like, so I think the first thing is you've got to actually get serious about having a plan and a desire to just get this monkey off your back. Like you can't just continue to look at it and go,
0: that's tomorrow's problem. Right. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And I know that taking it seriously is a big deal because I didn't take it really very seriously early on in my adult years. Um, Not that I didn't take it seriously. I also was broke. (laughs) <laughs> um, but uh, I didn't take it seriously. You can't just, get blood from a stone. You can't get blood from a stone. Uh, but you definitely do need to take it seriously. And once I changed my lens on that, I started getting more aggressive where I could be more aggressive. Um, so interesting stuff. That's one hurdle that millennials face. Uh, and hopefully that's just a little bit of what people can do to actually do a little bit better with that. Um, but before we go to a music break, uh, I want to remind people you can always catch past episodes of Manager Damn Money on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And, of course, please leave us a review on any of those platforms. That helps more people find our show. If you have a question that you want Malcolm to answer during his Malcolm Malcolm's Money Minute, send it to us, info at manageyourdamnmoney.com. You can always catch us on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at MYDM1. Malcolm, what's yours? At Malcolm on Money. And, of course, you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Welcome back to manager damn money with Ben and Malcolm where our conversation at hand for this episode major financial hurdles facing millennials and how to overcome them Malcolm another subject that we have to talk about inside of this episode retirement in America has come to represent a financial life well played in America my grandparents have been retired for longer than they ever worked (laughs) but the length of one's retirement they won the game they won the game I think But the length of one's retirement isn't always an indication of their financial planning prowess. Sometimes it's a sign that more support was given by former employers and municipalities to support that retirement. The question from a little millennial generation when it comes to retirement is will it will we be able to retire at all or will we be sentenced to waiting tables or becoming elderly baristas when our technical skills have gone out of date? Um, so interesting question Malcolm because we talk about this um, all the time the first story that we pulled for this will Social Security be around for Millennials and this was a July 2018 story from our friends at TheMotleyFool.com by Mari Bachman Um, and first of all I guess we should uh, explain what Social Security is if you look at your paycheck some money's taken out for it every paycheck and it goes into a, a, a account with the government and then they, you're basically paying into a system that pays old people on the back end once you pass. What is it, 65? Well, it's 67 now for us. 67 for yeah. millennials. So. Um it used to be <laughs>
1: 66. So we getting retirement pushback on a two. 65, then 66, now
0: 67. Right. And I
1: have my suspicions that that number is going to move a few more times right. before it's all said and done.
0: Indeed, indeed. And essentially you pay into it with the idea that when you get old, you get to recoup some of the benefits on the back end. Right. You're basically supposed to be right. prepaying your retirement benefits.
1: Right. So you work for 30 years. You pay into this system. And then they invest that money very conservatively. They right. earn a few percent interest you know, a few percent in interest every year on that money, and then it's there to pay out benefits to you at the time you retire. However, (laughs) the Social Security system is the greatest Ponzi scheme ever (laughs) perpetrated on American soil. It just happens to have been perpetrated by the American government, so you don't hear it called by the name that it actually is. For those of you who aren't aware, Ponzi scheme is when you take one person's money, promise them investment returns, and then actually pay them with the money you receive from the next person behind them as a new investor. That's That's essentially how Social Security is working right now. So the money that you and I are paying into the system is not being invested on our behalf for 30 years from now when we are ready to retire it's actually being used to pay for the benefits of our parents right. and even the people older than our parents who are still collecting Social Security right. because it hasn't been properly managed and funded the way it should have been. Right. So at the time, Social Security was enacted mm-hmm. to keep...
0: you give giving us a history lesson. I'm going to nerd ahead. out
1: on this thing all the way. I'm already in the zone because I, I, I have... If you can't tell, I have a serious problem with Social Security the way it's built. Uh-huh. But basically, it was initially designed... So that folks, when they retired, they would have a pool of money to help sustain them after they no longer were of working age. Right. Back then, that was like post-World War II, the average life expectancy was like 70. Right. So it was conceivable that a person at 62 or 65 or whatever could collect benefits for five years, even 10 years if they so choose. Right. And they would do nothing to bankrupt the system as it
0: as it worked. Then people started messing around and living longer. But then
1: people started messing around in labs and getting smarter with medicine <laughs> and actually exercising and right. stop smoking and all kind of things that right. lead to longer lives. And now, all of a sudden, people have the audacity to live into their hundreds, (laughs) and those people who are living into their hundreds paid the same amount of years into that system as you and I would have paid, and the people who paid when it first started. But they're drawing out more. So now people are drawing out far longer than it was ever intended to be. And the problem is, if you do anything to alter it today, Mm -hmm. do you still charge me the same percentage in Social Security taxes that you did when mm. you didn't alter the benefit. Right. That's the problem that I personally have right. with it. And anybody who says they're going to alter it in a meaningful way, I probably wouldn't vote for them. Right. So Cause, it, cause that, depends.
0: That, that essentially means you're changing the rules in the middle of the game because yes. it's in, in the middle of the game for somebody. You're changing the rules at the time that I'm winning the game. <laughs> so I
1: personally am the one contributing the dollars into the, into the system. Right. And as I'm contributing those dollars, you're going to say, We want you to still contribute at the rate that you've been contributing. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes your turn to be in the driver's seat, Mm -hmm. we're not going to pay you the same way we did the people who played the game before you. And, you know, sorry, we mismanaged the funds. We didn't see it coming. Sorry. You know, that is going to create some serious problems. And so, unfortunately... I think they're going to have no choice but to alter what that full retirement age becomes all over again. Right. But I'm not going to be happy about
0: it. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you for that history lesson (laughs) on what Social Security is, Malcolm. Uh, The article identifies a recent Gallup poll. Thirty three percent of millennials said they worried benefits won't be around for them in retirement. Um, the question is, will they be? And when I, when I say benefits, I mean Social Security benefits. Um, it's easy to see why so many Americans are concerned about Social Security. The program is facing a multi-trillion dollar shortfall that could impact benefits if Congress, as you mentioned, doesn't step in with a fix. But while the latest trustee reports doesn't exactly paint a glorious picture for Social Security, the news isn't all bleak either. So Malcolm gave you the the gloom and doom and here's a little bit good for. a little bit of the sunny side um, right now the worst case scenario according for according to this article um, for social security looks something like this if lawmakers don't intervene the program will exhaust its trust funds by 2034 that's what's that's what, well within our lifetime um, at which point it will have no choice but to cut scheduled benefits by 21% this means that future recipients Millennials included, that's us, uh, stand to collect smaller payments than what they normally be entitled to, which is essentially what you just outlined, Malcolm. Still, 79% of scheduled benefits, here's the sunny side, is far better than getting no benefits at all. Um, And right now, that's what we're looking at. Remember, Social Security gets its funding from payroll taxes, as in those taxes we like to complain about, but which also serve as a very important purpose of keeping the program afloat. Um, even in the best-case scenario, meaning no 20% uh, cut as mentioned above, Social Security is only designed to replace about 40% of the average worker's pre-retirement income. That's
1: the part I don't think they make enough noise about okay. in the general populace. Right. A lot of people, if you talk to just random people on the street, right. think that Social Security is going to be the thing to— They like, live off of. They live off of right. once they're no longer uh, working. mm mm-hmm. It's never been designed to be your primary source of income, but nobody was ever really taught that. It was never explained that way until people just assumed that that's what the thing was going to be. Plus, if you take Social Security benefits at the age of 62 when you're first technically allowed to sign up for it, you get a 75% benefit for the rest of your life Ah. versus what you would have gotten at your full retirement age. So for the rest of your life, you're getting... 75% of that 40% income replacement (laughs) for the rest of your life. So it's really not going to cover what it is that you need it to do. But nobody's making any noise about that in a meaningful way. So people heading toward retirement have no idea until they get there. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, I guess guess I'll
0: go without food. (laughs) Or live with my kids. Or that. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, And then also Malcolm, another element of this whole equation, which we have actually done a show on before. Um, Inflation Uh, Though the program is supposed to give beneficiaries cost-of-living adjustments um, to ensure that they maintain their buying power in the face of inflation, recent cost-of-living adjustments have been far from generous, meaning they're not keeping up with or just barely keeping up with. So basically, I mean— They're laughable. Yeah, laughable. So Social Security, it seems like even if some of it is there for you, Mm -hmm. it's still not going to be enough to live, certainly at the level that you're accustomed to living. See, uh, the author
1: of this article, I— vehemently disagree. Okay. with the position that it's not as bad as what people are making it out to be. Okay. simply because we don't know how bad it's going to get just yet. Sure. because you have so many baby boomers who are still working. Right. even the ones who are past full retirement age. Right. So once they do finally start collecting that increased benefit that right. you get for waiting past your full retirement age. If you right. wait till you're 70, you get a maximum benefit. Oh wow. So now we're talking about instead of you getting 75% of what you would have gotten mm-hmm. for waiting, you get like an extra 25% for waiting all the way to 70. Oh, wow. So those people are really going to deplete the stash, right. if you will, of what's there. Plus, there's that statistic that's floating out there that 10,000 baby boomers turn 65 every day. Oh, wow. So we haven't seen yet all the people who are going to ring the register and start <laughs> to sign up for their benefits. Right. All of a sudden, that storm hits right. and, you know— I think it actually is far
0: worse than, than what, what people are yeah. expecting. Um, well, if you're curious about your own Social Security benefits, um, you can actually go online, just uh, Google or something. It's SSA.gov. There you go. Yeah. A- and you can look at what your projected Benefit would be based on like your current salary. Yeah, it's, um, it, do you put your it, social security number in there? You do have to put your
1: social security number in there. Okay, I think um, I've done it once. I, ironically, I actually looked at this recently out okay. of curiosity. Huh? Um, it's so sad. <laughs> it, is, it is so sad. We can't
0: live in DC on that. I'm sure
1: I can't live in you know Texas on that either. Like it, it, it I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was like twenty thousand dollars. What it's projected to be. And that's an inflated number for when right. I'm 67 years for old. For inflation. $20,000 doesn't even cover a year's worth of rent in DC. Yeah.
0: So, like you said, I guess I'll be living with my kids. So, yeah, you might, you know, maybe you have to move to Wyoming or something like something that. Something like that. Um, the, the also, something else that's interesting uh, that you kind of touched on earlier, and I always bring up about my grandparents the elimination of pensions and worker sponsored retirement benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, This is another challenge when it comes to retirement. Um, Old school benefits programs, uh, when you work for 20 years and your company will pay you in your retirement even when you're not working, have almost completely disappeared. Public service is like the only place where you can get those kind of benefits beyond the time served. Just ask your Congress people. They have a wonderful benefits They'll package. They'll write that out too on their way out the door, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's a main reason why people want to be uh, senators and Congress people because that benefits, the longer you serve, gets better and better. And it's for life. Absolutely. So those
1: are the people depleting those
0: resources. Isn't that ironic? For life. Um, millennials don't have any kind of long-term savings being contributed to their pot beyond what? they or their families can contribute so my grandparents which i always use an example they still get paid by municipalities that they work for in california and i didn't know that i used to think that my grandparents like this amazing financial planning like oh my gosh they must have saved every single dollar they They were born at the perfect time (laughs) that was their savings um and then i finally realized well into adulthood it was like I, w- I had to be like at least 22 before I realized how, because I actually asked them in some way, shape, or form I asked them. Um, it was a roundabout because, you know, they're old, and that might have been a rude question to be <laughs> that direct. Um, but I, but we talked about it, and they, they're they still getting checks from wh- whatever you know institution they used to work for in California. That's not around for our generation. Well,
1: so also that kind of makes the same point I was making before about the uh, average age expectancy changing. Right. So at the time those companies put those pensions in place, you know, Mm -hmm. your big car manufacturers, Ford and Chrysler and I can't remember, Chevy, uh, General Motors, when they put those things in place in, you know, the 40s and 50s up in Detroit – they were putting pensions in place for even their factory workers, their line workers. If right. you work here for 25 years, 30 years, right. we will take care of you for the rest of your life. Right. Well, those people went on to live till 80, 90 <laughs> years old, which is something right. that their accountants, their actuaries didn't actually plan for properly. Right. And so those companies almost went bankrupt several times over, airline, right. same problem, right. trying to account for, well, how do we even bother to pay for all the people right. who've retired from here? Right while we're still trying to figure out a way to sell cars for $20,000.
0: And conceptually, it sounds like a ridiculous co- concept to actually pay somebody for time that they're not actually doing anything for you. Um, so maybe that idea was flawed, and maybe retirement as a whole is flawed. But
1: that was the only way to get
0: good workers to be
1: willing to come work for you.
0: And stay long-term.
1: That was the thing that made you competitive, and it also was the reason that folks had 30 and 40 years careers right. with one employer. Right. So, you know, where you get all these HR folks that complain all the time that nobody wants to stay at their job longer, millennials are degenerates who just keep <laughs> jumping job to job to job. Well, you know, I'd be interested to see if that pension plan was never put in place, right. how often our parents would have gone out looking for more That's for, true. for more opportunity as well.
0: That's true. So question for you. Uh, in the, With the scenario that we just laid out with, you know, Social Security lacking not at the percentage that you would need, uh, what do millennials need to do to prepare themselves for that future moment in the future when they're you know, becoming an old person and they want to retire? Um, well, for one
1: thing, I, I in, in my practice, have stopped even using the phrase retirement okay. when talking to people younger than 50 years old. Hmm. I use the phrase work optional, meaning <laughs> I ask them, at what age would you like work to, to be, be optional? optional. All right. That's a totally different conversation saying, when would you like to be at a point where if you don't want to walk out of the, do- out- out of the door today, right. you don't have to, but you're still doing something. So right. that work you're doing, it's optional when you do it and how you do it. Right. But you still need to do it. Right. Versus I'm going to get to 65, I'm going to put in my, you know, retirement papers, <laughs> and then I'm going to cool it for the next 30 years. Right that conversation doesn't it falls on deaf ears when you talk to a 30 year old person about retirement in the traditional sense. And and so that, i think just framing your mind around what it's actually going to be right. is the first step that's most important.
0: And that that actually takes me back to how i opened this with talking about, you know, becoming, you know, 65 year old baristas. Mm-hmm. That is like actually a potential reality for our generation where you're not going to have the hard stop, i'm retiring, right. i got out the game, i'm done. <laughs> Like, it's not necessarily going to be like that for us. It's probably going to be more of a, like you said, work optional or work less, um, more than likely in a space where they just need your body to do things, provided those kinds of jobs are still available. Um, But nobody wants to work nights
1: and weekends. So that's going to be interesting, (laughs) that mad dash to not be the one working nights and weekends. What did those (laughs) jobs look like? Right. For folks who are retirement
0: age, but not mm. retired. That's true. That's true. So you, you kind of you alluded to it. What is the wealth management industry saying about millennials and retirement? They don't know. <laughs> they, they, I, 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 I mean, I literally, I consume as much as I can possibly
1: read on uh-huh. the subject because I'm trying to form my own like hypothesis, too, to, right. be, to be candid. And nobody really knows because this is a brand new problem. Mm-hmm. So everybody wants to use the uh, uh, mindset of we've got to get there before the problem exists. Right. But the people who are trying to figure out and make those decisions a lot of times are the people who are in the way and <laughs> you know have the pension and right. the social security fully funded and all that right. to draw on. So it's not really as much of a necessity to figure it out. Right. So unfortunately, I think it's one of those things where you plan as best you can you mm-hmm. tell millennials you know save as much as you possibly can into your 401k plan mm-hmm. if your company doesn't have a 401k plan my personal advice find a new job <laughs> aside from that maybe you contribute to an ira uh-huh. if you have a 401k plan you're already maxing that thing out and mm-hmm. you still have enough left over to be able to to say what do i do after that right. then you also contribute to an ira mm-hmm. because literally it's going to take as much as you can possibly right. save to solve, you know, help close that gap. Right. Um, but until, you know, we get a little bit further down the road, meaning like 15-ish years, we really don't know yet right. what it's actually going to look like.
0: Should people consider scaling down their um, cost of living and like their standard of living to save for this future moment?
1: Like, So, I mean, that's always going to be the case. Mm-hmm. The, the The less your monthly expenses are, the mm-hmm. less your take-home pay needs to be. Sure. So, you know, the adage, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Right. The, the easier you are on yourself and your budget, right. the easier it is to uh, kind of stomach this. Right. The only caveat to that is going to be when you live in a very high cost of living place like a D.C., a right. New York, a California, whatever. Right. The only way you make the money you make is to live in that place where that job is. Right. And so then how do you you know square that circle right. where I'm here to make this money, but I can't do anything extra <laughs> with this money because it doesn't go very far where I am. Right. That then becomes the issue. So maybe the answer is a lot of remote working situations where uh, I can move uh, to west texas or nashville tennessee or charlotte Mm -hmm. and work remotely for a company that's based in san francisco or dc or something but still live like a king in (laughs) my lower cost of living area and be able to save that way maybe i just solved the problem on accident that
0: hey that sounds like a good solution i haven't heard (laughs) that one yet so that might be it hey who knows look remote work for everybody there you go there you go that'll solve a lot of issues uh we want to thank you for listening and watching this episode of manage your damn money with Ben and malcolm i want to remind you you can always catch past episodes of our show you can simply download our show as a podcast on apple podcast soundcloud stitcher google play and spotify and please 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 leave us a review on any of those platforms that helps more people catch our show um if you have a question that you want to send for us to uh, send the show um or if you have a topic you want us to cover send us to us info at manager and if you have a question for malcolm you can send it there as well and he'll answer your question on malcolm's money minute um you can always catch us on social media on instagram and twitter what's your handle malcolm at malcolm on money and of course mine is at mydm1 And you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook facebook.com backslash Manage Your Damn Money. Uh, Thanks once again to our team here at Montgomery Community Media for another excellent show. Uh, Until next time, be good with your money. Peace. Peace.